Hopefully you still have your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 4, or devices open. Uh, you'll be able to follow along with me uh, much better if you've got, uh, got your Bible open or your device open. This is a, a dark passage. This is a passage that is uh, full of, of death, that is full of judgment, and to let you in to the experience of a, a, a preacher during the week, there's a point in the, in the process of, of reading and praying over a passage, um, especially this week was the case for me, where um, I'm waiting on the Lord. I, I, I need more. I see the death and, and the judgment, the, the prophecy that happened a couple chapters ago that Hophni and Phinehas would, would be killed on the same day. That comes through. All this is there, but... Lord, what do you have for us? What, what help and hope do you have for us when we might find ourselves in a dark, dark season of life? That's the season of life that the people of God, ancient Israel, finds themselves in in 1 Samuel chapter 4. The, the, the leadership has blasphemed God the army has been slaughtered. There's no reverence or love for God among the leaders. There is judgment. There is death. I saw all that right away, but this week was hard. I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, what else is here? Help me open my eyes. Not that I couldn't only preach that. I could but I had a sense there's more than that in this passage. And what we pray for as preachers is a breakthrough and a leading of God. And it was sometime later in this process of preparing where the Lord opened my eyes to at the very beginning of this unit of Scripture, verse 12, and at the very end, we have an anonymous man, unnamed man of God at the beginning, and we have an anonymous, unnamed woman of God at the end. And it took time to see, in addition to what God clearly wanted me to see, and us to see the judgment and death that's here, but there's more to that. And there is help, and there is hope in this passage. So, to kind of summarize the sermon before we even get into it, to summarize this text before we get into it, no matter what is going on in your life, what is going on around you right now, God will strengthen you. He will help you to do what's right and glorify Him. Even if everyone around you is, is not following Him, is in a whole different place, that's the situation for the few that, that love the covenant-keeping God of Israel, and want to follow him, they're seeing no one else is really following him. And this anonymous person at the beginning and a different anonymous person at the end, I believe God wants us to identify with them as Christ followers today in the year 2022. So, what is most important in life is that we glorify God, that we live with the joy of the Lord day in and day out, what is not most important is that we have a prominent office or a prominent position or any of these things. Hophni, Phineas, and Eli had all of that thing. They were, they were prominent. 
They were leaders, and they were lost. They were lost. So these anonymous people at the beginning and the end are, are going to be helpful to us today. So let's, let's go ahead and, and dive in and take a look as we look for hope and help from this passage in addition to what is clear and obvious. So let's begin chapter 4, verse 12 for Samuel. It says, That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle, ran from the battle line, and went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dust on his head. Now, let's stop here for a moment and say a few things. So if you haven't been here the last few days, or last few days, last few weeks, haven't been here maybe, or if you have and just need a refresher, the beginning of verse 12, it says that same day. So what day are we talking about? Let's go back up to verse 10, and we have a summary of the day in verse 10. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30 thousand foot soldiers. That's a bad day. The ark of God. Yeah, this is the ark, the ark of the covenant. You guys have seen the movie, right? You seen it? This is, this is the, the ark. The ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died, which was prophesied two chapters prior. So that's the day verse 12 is talking about. And now we have this anonymous man, this Benjamite, from the tribe of Benjamin. That's all we know about him. He ran. He ran from the battle, from the battle line, in, the word made it into one of our songs today, in Ebenezer, which is 22 miles away from Shiloh. He ran 22 miles, and it's uphill. So that's basically from the Roseville Galleria to here. To Joger and Dry Creek. He ran. Why did he run? Why did he run? There's a clue. It took me a while to see this. It's right here, but I didn't see it. So I'm just trying to tell you. Preaching is a process. His clothes are torn and dust on his head. For those of you who are more familiar with the Old Testament than I am, maybe you saw this already. This is a sign of repentance. This is a repenting man. This is a man who loves the covenant-keeping God of Israel with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not seen repentance in the leaders, in Eli, in Hophni, in Phinehas. In fact, we have seen violence from them. We have seen gluttony and excessive eating from them. We have seen disregard for the word of God and we're going to do the sacrifices the way we want to and we're going to steal the choice food from God and get fat ourselves. Literally, we've seen that in 1 Samuel 2-4. through But we haven't seen repentance. But here is a man who is repenting. His clothes are torn. There's dust on his head. And he has run 22 miles to communicate the truth. Now, the truth is bad news, slaughter, fulfillment of prophecy. Hophni and Phinehas are dead. And by the way, the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant. So the news is bad, but it is true news. It is news that needed to be communicated to the people back at Shiloh, at base camp. 
So we see in this unnamed man someone who is full of repentance. Nehemiah 9.1 says the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth. He's not wearing sackcloth because he just ran away as a soldier from the battle. And they had dust on their heads there. So he is doing all of the things that a person would do who loves Yahweh with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength as, as an ancient Israelite to show repentance. And he ran all the way back. This is an extraordinary individual, and God wants us to notice him, and he wants us to live repentant lives every day, no matter what is going on around with us. Repentance is the way home. It's the way to fellowship. It's the way to find joy, to turn away from what is wrong and what is evil, whether that's corporate, and I think that's what's going on here. He just sees our, 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 the people of God are just a mess, and he is repenting not necessarily for his own sin, but for the people of God. And, and the glory of God is not in this place. And, and they disregarded him. Martin Luther, his first of the 95 theses, paraphrased, says something like this. The entire life of the entire Christian is a life of repentance. That's how we find joy, is by turning away from evil, whether it's corporate, whether it's individual, whatever it is. So this man is an example to us in the midst of this darkness all around him. Let's come back to our text, verse 13. So he's, he's made this 22-mile run uphill. He arrives, verse 13. There was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching. Let me pause there a moment. He's watching. Now, the text was just read, if you're a careful listener, the text told us that Eli is blind. We're going to see that in just a few verses. So we have a blind man on the side of the road watching for the news. There's something going on here literarily. Eli is not only physically blind, he is spiritually blind. He's sitting on the side of the road watching. Why is he watching? Back to the text. Verse 13, because his heart feared for the ark of God. He isn't fearing for the God of the covenant. He's fearing for the ark of the covenant. And there is a big difference between having a holy, reverential, awesome, healthy fear of God and his power and having a fear for some object that represents God. So he's sitting there watching, he can't see, and what's on his mind and his heart are not his two sons. Uh, the careful reader here, would, 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 that would come up, like imagine dads here, it's prophesied that your two sons are both going to die on the same day and they're at battle. Do you think you would be waiting alongside the road to hear about them? It doesn't seem to be what he's interested in. Why do I say that? Because the text says he's watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. It seems as though he has given his sons over to the wickedness that they have been living. Back to the text here. We're in verse 13. When the man entered the town, this man who ran the 22 miles from the Galleria, he enters the town and he tells what happened. And the whole town set up a cry. So he, he, he delivers the news. There's no text. 
There's no phone, so he's run to communicate the truth of God. This is a messenger of God's word, and sometimes God's word has very troubling news within it. That's the situation here. The town sets up a cry. Verse 14, Eli heard the outcry. So he hears, his ears are working, he can't see, but he hears the outcry, and he asks, what's the meaning of this uproar? So this man, this man of God, this anonymous Benjamite, who I'm suggesting you and I are to identify with, he runs over to Eli, who was 98 years old. He was older than you, Fred. How old are you, Fred? You're 97. Congratulations, Fred, being here today, 97. Eli's 98, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. This is an awkward way to describe for the careful reader to see that God is sovereign over the reality that he is physically blind. Implication, he is also spiritually blind. And he's by the road waiting for the wrong thing. So this messenger comes, he tells Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. I mean, this is extraordinary. Most people don't fight in the battle and then run 22 miles uphill. It wasn't both ways, just one way, but this is uncommon. So I fled this very day from there. I I, I was there. What happened, my son? Verse 17, the man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. So again, the reader would anticipate a father having intense grief here over the loss of his two sons on a single day. It was prophesied by God it was going to happen. But what's on his heart? Verse 18. When he mentioned the ark, when this runner mentions the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. I've got this word heavy circled in my Bible. There's significance to this word. We could paraphrase it. He is fat. He is obese. And it actually contributes to his death, his obesity, breaking his neck. I don't know that we have anything like this in the Bible where someone's gluttony is identified by name and then causes that, in some ways, causes his death. I have it circled because the word heavy here is the Hebrew word uh, kabed. And if you flip back over to chapter 2 and verse 29, let me just read it or listen to it or flip over there. This is another anonymous man who is bringing the word of God to Eli. And he says in verse 29, Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed from my dwelling? He's referring to the fact that they are eating against God's word, the choicest parts of the offering. Why do you scorn or kick my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? That, that is the worship that goes on in Shiloh where the, where the Ark of the Covenant should be and where 
animal sacrifice took place. Continuing on, verse 29, why do you honor? So that word honor is the identical Hebrew word back in our text that's translated heavy in chapter 4. It's the same word. Now, if you've been in Cornerstone for a while, you know single words have multiple meanings. They have a range of meaning. And so here it says, why do you kick my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor or glory in your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? So this word, uh, kabed, can mean honor or glory. That's what it means here in chapter 2. It can also mean heavy or fat. And so the writer of this text, the Holy Spirit and the human author, has put this in here to link these two things together. He partied with his son, eating the animal sacrifices that were supposed to be aroma sent offerings to the Lord, and he got fat, and he literally dies because of this kabod, this heaviness, instead of having a heaviness for the glory of God and the God of the covenant, he has a respect and awe for the box, but not for the God himself. There is a lot going on in this passage, and I wanted to bring that one out because you can't see it in English because it wouldn't make sense to translate it the same way. But it's the same word, but it has multiple meanings, and the author is doing this intentionally. We are at the end of wicked ruling leaders. The pastors of the day have been taken out and they have been judged by God. Hophni and Phineas, the day-to-day operators as priests and their 97-year-old father have been judged and they are removed. What is on his heart, Eli's heart before his death, is the ark. And I think Robert hit this last week. One commentator writes this, Mere possession of the ark enabled neither Israelite, nor we're going to see next week, Philistine, to manipulate the God whose presence it symbolized. He falls off his chair when he hears that the ark has been captured because he wrongly thinks that if, I, if we have the possession of the ark, that God is going to watch over us and protect us and we won't be slaughtered and this isn't going to happen. What he misses, what Eli misses, is what the anonymous runner got. What God was waiting for and looking for of his people was repentance and a turn to him. But they were serving other gods in part Eli, gods were his sons, in part, their bellies, the food that they were enjoying year after year after year after year. It is a tragic situation. To correlate this with the New Testament, James chapter 1 says, Do not merely listen to the word. Hophni and Phinehas and Eli not only listened to the word, but they proclaimed the word. And they so deceived themselves. They did not do what it said. In fact, when people came up to offer their animal sacrifices to the priest and said, you know, you're not really supposed to eat that. It's supposed to go to the Lord. 
that worshiper was told to be quiet and they were physically, violently attacked by the priests if they insisted to do what God's word said. One of the takeaways for us to find help and hope from this passage is we want to identify with this unnamed Benjamite who ran. Not with sackcloth, he couldn't get it. He just left the battlefield. But with dust on his head and with a heavy heart and his clothes ripped as expressions of repentance because unlike the, the elderly priest Eli and unlike the operational priest Hophni and Phinehas, this man has a heart for God and not for the box that represents God's power and presence and glory. He has a heart for the glory of God. May God give us that heart as I am no prophet, I don't know what is going to happen, but in light of this week, it just it seems like this that we kind of live in two countries, our nation, and it seems that there's growing hostility among those who think like us, those who think biblically, and those who think more progressively, more differently. I don't know what is coming. I hope it's revival. That's what I'm praying for. But whether it is revival and awakening, that's what I want to see, or whether we continue to have darkness around us in our culture, God is looking for us to be faithful and repentant regardless of what is going on around us. And that is what is in this text in addition to the judgment and the wrath of God that comes upon the leaders of that day. Okay, we have made it through anonymous person number one. And now we have anonymous person number two, who I want to suggest is also a godly example for the Christ follower in 2022 to identify with in this text. You, you ready, to hear about, ready to hear about her? Say yes. yes. Say yes. Okay, here we go. So that's 19 to 22. Let's take a look at it. So his daughter-in-law, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news, the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband, and not mentioned, but her uh, brother-in-law too, were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. Verse 20, as she was dying, the women attending her said, now let me just pause here for a moment, so no obstetricians. For thousands of years, it was women and their wisdom and knowledge, um, midwives, who, who helped women give birth. These are experienced midwives. And they know, that doesn't tell us medically what's happened here, but they know this mom is going to die. The mom knows she is going to die. This unnamed daughter-in-law. She's going to die. She's overcome by these labor pains. So these women, as she's dying, attending her, look what they say in verse 20. Don't despair. You have given birth to a son. Now, pausing here again. This is the longing for, for a, a normal, healthy longing for a, a woman. 
in, in ancient Israel, to have a son. This, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong. This is a good thing. And so they're trying to bring her comfort with, with what women in, in that era would want, a son. But look at her response. So this is, again, the careful reader would see this. She doesn't respond the way you would expect. Someone who's familiar with ancient Israelite culture, what we would expect is, oh, thank you, Lord, something good on my way out. Thank you for a son. That's what we would expect to read. But she did not respond or pay any attention to what the women say, that you have a son. So why? So now we're told why in these next couple of verses, but it takes some work. It took me some work to, to see this. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So the word that I've been referring to, the only Hebrew word I've referred to so far that can be translated heavy or can be translated honor or glory, that's the word kabed. And now this is a different word for glory, but it sounds very similar. Kabod. It's at the end of this name, Ichabod. So she's using a different word, and the writer who wrote this is, is giving us a different word. So we, so we have this process in our minds going, this is a different type of glory. Um, Eli had a glory. Uh, in our day, being fat was not something, in our day, being fat is not something that's looked up to, but I don't know if you know this, but in the ancient world, to be fat showed that you were a prestigious person, that you didn't work out in the fields, and you had access to all kinds of food. And so you, in a worldly sense, had a, a sort of glory, or heaviness, or weight. But this is a different word to show we are talking now about a different kind of glory that has departed from Israel. That's what's on her heart. A God-glorifying kind of glory. And so she names the boy Ichabod, which in my Bible, there's a little footnote from the translators in the Bible, and it says Ichabod means no glory. And that's accurate, but I did more study on this, and I, and I was looking another way and the way that I understand what Ichabod means is not simply no glory, but where is the glory? Or where is honor? This woman has recognized that there is no true glory going to God among the community of God's people. And so that's why she doesn't respond to these women who are just trying to encourage her that you've been given birth to a son moments before she dies. And what's on her heart is the glory of God. So there is help for you and me here because if you're like me, I am very often putting my hope in other things and I'm not longing for the glory of God. Eli and Hophni and Phinehas and even others, they have this unhealthy relationship with the box, with the Ark of the Covenant. So a Christian, a follower of Christ reading this passage in 2022 should say here, where am I putting my hope? It's good to want a son. It is, a good to want, it is a good thing to want the Ark of the Covenant if you're an ancient Israelite back in Shiloh. 
But chief among all believers across all time is you and I living for the glory of God. Meaning, my life is full of joy, not because of wealth or because of comfort or because of position or prominence, things that Eli and Hophni and Phinehas had, but because I know the covenant-keeping God of Israel and I know Jesus Christ, the Messiah that would come, and out of my life, I'm living a life of joy, and God gets glory from that. And so her, she naming her boy Ichabod is, is an anticipatory name of that glory is going to be coming. Where is the honor, the real honor? Where is the glory? It is coming. This is a woman who has faith and believes. And that's why she did not respond or pay any attention to this glorious news that she has a son. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So church and myself, whether I eat or drink or whether I live in a gospel-rich state or in a gospel-deprived state, whatever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. There is hope in this text of judgment and wrath upon the leaders of ancient Israel. So where is this honor and where is this glory coming? Well, to summarize the rest of the Bible in two minutes, it's coming and has already come in Samuel. This is a leadership shift moment right here. The old leadership is out. They didn't resign. They were killed in judgment by God. The new leadership, Samuel, is coming. That leader is going to take us into a period of time of monarchy where Israel has a king. One of those kings is King David. And King David knows that there is a greater king coming, the Messiah. He didn't know he was King Jesus and that he would be born in Bethlehem, but that is the king that David prays to and expects in the Psalms and calls him my Lord. This woman who is not named names her son Ichabod, where is the glory? It's coming in Samuel, he's already there. It's coming in, in monarchy in the King David in the next five or ten chapters or whenever that's coming. It's coming in that the Davidic king points to the king of kings, Jesus, the Messiah, who's going to come, who is hope not only for Israel, but for every tribe, every tongue, every nation on the planet. And living for King Jesus and his glory is what your life and my life is about. We are actually more like Hophni and Phinehas and Eli than we think because we put our hope and our longing for glory in other things. Two weeks ago today, we weren't gathered with God's people. We were at a graduation. And the speaker of that graduation was Russell Wilson, quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, a man of prominence, of worldly glory and honor. But he mentioned to all of us, he didn't use this, these words, but he mentioned to us that his real life, what is most important in life, is that he is a Christian. He said this in a secular, liberal, dark audience spiritually recognized 
Joy comes from glorifying God day in and day out of life. This anonymous woman knows that. This anonymous man knows that. That's why he ran 22 miles to communicate this news. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. At times, it just, like this chapter, when I first read it, it just seems full of, of judgment and death and, and, and not hope and not grace. But there is grace. You are sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for us as Christians to live our lives repentantly, to find our way back to you and to find joy in the everyday stuff of life, even if it's all dark around us. We thank you for this one who ran. We thank you for this one who gave birth and looked for hope and glory that was even beyond the birth of a son. Help us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.